Hi guys, it's Matty Conrad here, and thanks again for tuning in this week to Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I've been having such a good time having these conversations and being able to share them with you guys, and this week, we are actually going to be sharing one of the first conversations that I had, which happened at LA Lookbook with my friend Andrew Cossack, who some of you may know from Instagram as at Andrew Does Hair. Now, he's a very deep thinker and has a lot of interesting things to say about the industry, and so I wanted to share this conversation with you guys, even though the audio on it is probably not as good as it's going to be. I promise that's getting better. We've got better gear. I'm learning more about how to do audio. I'm a barber, not an audio engineer. But I think the content of this conversation is interesting enough that it's worth sharing. So buckle up and listen to what Andrew has to say about the state of the hairdressing and barbering industry. And I'm going to talk to you guys again after the podcast. You're listening to Whiskey Tango Foxtrot with your host, Matty Conrad. Hey everybody, it's Matty Conrad here, and we are still doing some live podcast recordings from the LA Lookbook high atop the Hollywood Hills. One of the things I love about traveling around in this industry is the friendships that I've got to make with so many incredibly fascinating people, and the things that we talk about I think are worth sharing with you as a listener. Uh, These are people that you know, people that you might follow on Instagram, social media, people that have blown up, or people that I think are just fascinating and talented. And one of those people who has been a really good friend to me and somebody who I've known for quite a long time now and we made friends in the early early days of Instagram is Mr. Andrew Does Hair. Andrew welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me Maddie. I'd like to dive into a few things. Tell people a little bit about like uh, how you got here, who you are and and what uh, what it is that makes you so interesting in this industry. Oh my goodness um, so if I'll try to give you like the 30 second explanation. I'm a hairdresser who happened to be good at short hair so I started focusing on short hair during a time when barbering became popular and so as a hairdresser who did short hair, I did things differently than barbers. And uh, automatically, I kind of had a, a sort of different way of doing things from what was popular at the time. It helped to launch, uh, I guess, my Instagram following, my YouTube following, just by accidentally being different because I happen to be weird. And uh, through the opportunities that came to me because of that, I found a real passion in just trying to help other barbers and stylists to be better, um, whether it's through photography or, or tweaking their businesses in ways to be a little bit better for them and so to this day I don't even I hesitate to call myself a hairdresser I just I work in the hair industry I do a little bit of everything you hesitate to call yourself a hairdresser do you feel like there is a a weird derogatory nature to that given which side of the coin you're on I mean barbers seem to have a bit of a weird vibe towards hairdressers hairdressers have a weird vibe towards barbers Do, do you feel that do you feel that's a thing I would say at least in the bubble that follows my life around you know I'm the center of my story um that weirdness has gone away a long time ago. There was a moment, actually, it was a great story. Edward Clipperhands on Instagram, that's Clipperhands with a K. Um, he invited me to like a grand opening for his barbershop or something. And we had been friends for a little bit, but he's like a barber and uh, I'm a hairdresser. And so when I showed up to this event, he was introducing me to people and he paused and looked at me before saying, hey, hey, Hair, hairdresser and I was like yes it's okay hairdresser um, <laughs> like we don't know the pronouns to use anymore well, you know it's be, gotten so I, convoluted in the rest of society that hairdresser versus barber has become an issue now well so I, I think to a lot of people hairdresser just automatically sounds feminine or gay or antiquated and uh, the antiquated part I actually kind of take pride in because in the 60s you were a hairdresser and in the 90s you're a hairstylist yeah. and uh, so I, I prefer hairdresser over hairstylist but why, why do you make that preference what what, what drives you to appreciate that nomenclature well when I started cutting hair like late 90s early 2000s um, or started being interested in hair um, hair stylist was the common term and 
when it became such a big pressurized thing, are you a barber or a cosmetologist? Like, I was like, dude, I don't want to pick a title, but it, it kept more or less coming up and becoming somewhat necessary. And so uh, my friend Tab, Tab Cuts Hair on Instagram, he said, dude, you're a hairdresser. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't heard that name since, like my mom still says hairdresser. <laughs> and to me, it was just so like delightfully vintage Yeah. and people weren't throwing it around. And so I didn't want to go pretend I was a barber because barbering was cool. Um, not that I'm opposed to barbering, but I'm not that. And I didn't you're not like, cool or I you're not a barber? Uh, well, both really, but, <laughs> but I didn't want to call myself a hairstylist because in my own, again, my, my bubble, my world that circles around me, hairstylist was played out and it was like, you know, to me, a hairstylist was doing 2003, like TG haircuts that were all shattered and razor cut. And, sure. And with um, your feelings. Yeah, exactly. And like, and at that point it was, you know, 2008, 2009. I was like, I'm not one of those early 2000s haircutters. I'm, uh, and I just grabbed a word that was applicable that wasn't in heavy use. And I feel like hairdresser has become more common now. Yeah. Especially because in the UK and Ireland, like they still use that word. I think it's an interesting thing because we put a lot of weight on the way we choose to describe ourselves, um, almost with an intention of it being taken more seriously or professional sounding. You know, I remember when somebody took me aside, we don't, we don't wash hair we shampoo hair and I thought to myself like what's the difference yeah. like I, I I wash hair is that not okay and I, I think that the, the idea is we're trying to elevate an industry that feels consistently inferior like we haven't been taken seriously enough and so we're trying to elevate it to a more professional level but the truth is is that barbers and hairstylists have never been the same thing all throughout history we were trained completely differently I mean and the, the hairdresser is really developed out of the French courts in the 1600s, 1700s where right. the, the mode of operation was primarily around styling hair into shapes and creating volumes and, and creating techniques that would uh, that would create textures in hair that were um, you know soft and feminine feeling and that continued up until the 1960s uh, whereas barbers really uh, have 6,000 years of history and have always really focused around well I mean some well, weird medical procedures in there somewhere but but also really focused heavily around structural haircutting and are trained very differently so I, I can't drop specific facts on you I haven't studied the way you have but I remember at one point reading about the history of barbering in like six thousand years I think is what I picked up and uh, but the history of hairdressing was like cave people were, were putting mud in hair and so you know you want to argue before we cut hair we put mud in hair and called it a style <laughs> <laughs> well it's actually I mean hair is the second oldest profession whether you're a barber or a, a stylist it's it's known as the second oldest profession on the planet next to prostitution which I think is nice. really an interesting bunch of backstories there but I think it's being part of that tradition I think is an interesting thing to see how much it's evolved and changed even just in the time that you and I have been doing things since about the 1990s is when you and I both started doing hair. Um, what do you see are some of the biggest changes that have happened in the, in the industry, uh, not just to styles, but in the overall approach? Wow. Since I started, um, I'll say one thing, and I'm kind of pissed about it. Um, when I first started cutting hair at that time, it was you know shampoo bottles would have labels on them saying if you find this in a grocery store call this number mm -hmm. and we were told you are special you work in a salon you have a license you have the right to sell this mm -hmm. and everything was salon exclusive and that was like the industry standard at the time yeah and uh so when I started my product line, I was like, no, salon exclusive, because that's how we're supposed to do it. And now fast forward all these years, I haven't used anyone else's product forever. Mm -hmm. But uh, Gordon Miller pointed out to me, he's like, hey, go on Amazon and look for any product. And they're all on there. There's no such thing as salon exclusive anymore. And so that's kind of like a huge change is um, the way that influence um, and when I say influence I know that that's kind of like a hot button word for social media and everything I'm not talking about influencers but you know 
product lines used to rely on the hairdresser and the barber to sell product and they were the influence on the clients to want to buy things and no i feel like in recent times hair companies would much sooner hire someone who doesn't do hair but has a million followers right. to sell their product right is an and in, to a, a quote to unquote a lot of, influencer exactly and yeah. there are a lot of hairstylists um, and i've gotten over it because i know how the world works and i'm i'm i think i'm punk rock i think i'm okay about change and, and excited about change even but that's definitely been a huge change like i grew up in a world cutting hair where we were special for having a license and we were like like this whole um, I'm gonna get some haters out of this, but the license to create hashtag I don't know who owns that or who does it, but nobody else in the world has a license to do hair except us, and we're told we're so special because we get this license and now you have the right to to lead trends in hair. But the real trendsetters are YouTubers who don't do hair. Yeah. The real trendsetters are freaking. I mean I don't know if anybody gets like um, what's that white rapper guy with like the weird messy curly hair. Um, Post, Malone? Post Malone. Like nobody's asking for Post Malone's hair, but <laughs> yeah. cases like that I don't even where... know where I would start with Post Malone's hair. Like I don't know how to create that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you just kick. Him I, out I of think it was shop. that. I think it was that mud thing you were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> but but point Can't being, like um, I grew up and started doing hair in a world where I thought because I did this work, I'm owed this, and the right. industry at the time was shaped in a way that was kind of conducive to that thought. And uh, we would go to product knowledge classes where they would say, oh, you're special because you get to carry this product. Sure. And you get to sell this product for us. But no longer are we special. No. no there's no product line that thinks we're special it's anymore. kind of a disenfranchised people, which is a, a repeating history here. I think one of the interesting things about it, like you're saying about the idea of salon exclusive and licensing, um, th there seems to be a lot of ego around the license concept. And it's almost perpetuated by the industry, an idea of like, oh, well, you're licensed to do this because you're special. But really, the function of a license and what a license actually is is basically just a, a piece of paper that the local government gives you that says that they've they're satisfied that you know how to operate your tools safely and control the spread of infectious disease as it relates to your implements and that's really all a license says it doesn't speak yeah. to your talent quality or specialness like you put it and so I think it's an interesting thing to look at because uh, as a disenfranchised people where are we looking for that validation now right when when we used to be told we were special by product companies that validation is still being sought out by by hairstylists and if we're not getting it from there I mean when we used to try and get that kind of notoriety it was largely either product companies would pick you up and hire you to go around and teach or do yeah, shows or whatever a DVD. or a DVD or you would get it through award ceremonies that were put together largely by magazines that were creating content for themselves so where is that found now where do you think people are looking for that kind of validation as a stylist to know what level you're at or to know whether you've arrived or however people perceive that well I would say the obvious answer is Instagram however I don't think that it's 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 almost mind-boggling how effective Instagram is it changing the, the culture of everything around us and at the same time how many hairstylists still want to stick their head in the stand mm. and say no, no no that's just a trend and oh I don't want to do that and I'm not a photographer I'm a barber and um, and so I think Instagram is the obvious answer for where people kind of go to get found and and grow now um, you know I've been thinking a lot lately about if you want to grow your career in your chair if, within the walls of your barbershop, you can only go so far. Mm. And as soon as you want to get outside of there and do anything else, get on stage, sell a product, sell a course, do anything, you have to go to Instagram, really. Um, so I think that's the obvious answer. But I think because so many people are more or less in denial to, to even 
accept the value of that and the potential of that. Mm. Um, I, I do think we're in a weird place in the industry where people are bitter, people are angry. I mean, we literally have the pissed off barber who bullies barbers online. Yeah. And um, and it's because he's angry that the system's not working how he thinks it should. And uh, so I think because of this shift, because for 30, 50 years, hair product companies put stars on stage and people were never happy about it back then. People were like, oh, Robert Crummians isn't that good at cutting hair. He's just flashy. Of course. It's like, well, then yeah. be flashy if you want to get on stage. Uh, but As now- if cutting hair the best was going to be the ultimate prize. Like, like it's, it's not a, a society that is based around the virtue of the quality of the work. It's so many other elements. But people are thinking, well, I do the best haircut. I should win. And that's not really how things work, is it? It's never worked that way, but people have always thought that way. I remember in cosmetology school, my teacher going, Robert Chromians. I saw him get out of a Hummer and cut hair with a chainsaw. That's stupid. And like, <laughs> that's and, something he would do. And uh, and so it's so funny that the things people said about platform artists back then, now they say about Instagrammers. Like, oh my gosh, did you see that Bird Mina guy? Like, with that flashy fur coat and uh, like, who's he think he is? And and it's so funny to me that we have the same complaints now. It's just on a different platform. And. Uh, no, it's interesting, though, because you said something earlier that I want to touch on that I've, I've always kind of summed you up as because um, I feel very much the same way is that you and I have a slight tendency to be contrarian in nature, mostly because we grew up uh, thinking of ourselves a little bit more punk. And punk is always about anti-establishment. It's always about going against whatever the most popular mainstream thing is. And now that social media is becoming so popular, and, and I mean, you, you know, we both blew up really early in the early days of Instagram. Um, do you have a bit of like a pained relationship with it now? Or do you feel the conflict that I feel with it, the love-hate relationship with, the, with social media? Uh, I would say the last year and a half or two years. Okay, let me back up. Um, I'll be the first to tell you people like, how'd you get an Instagram following? I'm like, I got on it in like the late 2011. Like I was early on Instagram. Yeah, me too. And so I got 10,000 followers by accident. And then after that, it kind of grew because I I aimed to take better photos. And that was really helpful. And uh, I would say if I started tomorrow, I wouldn't ever have a following. No. Um, I just happened to be on it at the right time. It's incredibly hard now, isn't it? I mean, people ask you what the trick is, but I don't know if there is one. I think well, timing is more important than tricks. No, I mean, I think if you're an idiot like us who just knows how to like what we like and do what we feel is us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're smart, if you're a marketer, if you're if you're a personality, you can you can do more than that. And so I noticed about two years ago, my following really, really stopped growing. Mm. And people that I knew who had always had a little less followers than me, not that I kept track all that much, but, you know, I was always curious to see how my friends were doing. And um, I would see people double and triple their following on top of mine. And I'm and for I got really insecure, like, oh, what am I doing wrong? And uh, and I had to remind myself, like, hang on, what do you use Instagram for? It's like, okay, just to share work that I like. Well, what do you want to get out of it? I don't know. I want to meet people. I'm like, do you still get that? Okay. But point being, I looked at these people who were just blowing up, and I was like, what are they doing that I'm not? And I realized it was their personality, their character was larger than life, whether they were that in real life or whether they were only that for the screen. But people were tuning in, not just for haircuts, but for a character doing haircuts. Right, and right. that that is absolutely a necessity to grow now. Like there's nobody who just does good haircuts who's growing right now. It's you have to be on camera. You have to be cute and bubbly and have a personality. Um, you have to have, and I don't want to say gimmicks like to make it a bad thing, but ultimately um, there's a huge difference between hair utilizing media, social media specifically to further itself. And there's a huge difference between that and 
people who do media who go, oh, I'm going to talk about hair as my subject. Right. And so, you know, Bloomon, I recently did some work with him on his YouTube channel. He's got 1.4 million subscribers. He doesn't cut hair, but he's telling 1.4 million people about their hair. Hmm. And I used to get angry about that, but I realized he's done something that no hairdresser has done because hairdressers are, and barbers, we do hair and we're figuring out media. Mm -hmm. This guy is a content creator. He's a personality. And he just picked hair as his thing that he does to talk about Interesting. and uh and so there's these two far opposite ends of the spectrum that we can see on social media and, and i think it leads to a lot of uh, frustration and anger you know a barber who is phenomenal at cutting hair and has two thousand followers will look at somebody who has two hundred thousand and does okay haircuts and say something's wrong something's not right something's not fair they cheated the system's wrong i hate instagram and it's like no very very clearly this person is great at being a personality they're great on camera, they're entertaining, they're inspirational, and it has nothing to do with how good you cut hair. And so you started to mention that a minute ago, that this is not some kind of meritocracy where we stack up the best haircut to the worst haircut. And anybody who wants to claim that it's worth it to try to do the best haircut. My challenge is, what does the end of that look like? Mm. What does it look like when you win? Yeah. When, you, when you get to the top of that, like who's on the top right now? Who won that? <laughs> is there a Nobody trophy coming that. in the mail there, for nobody the best won that. And so, that's ever been yeah, posted? Yeah, so people are working to do the best haircut, but it's a made up position that has never existed. It will never exist. And so at some point you have to realize like, well crap, like, the, the media, and I say media, not social media, that used to put a hairdresser on stage was to know the right people at a product line and, and have the right connections there. And then they put you on stage yeah. and people were mad about it. Well, they're not that good. I'm better. And now the media is self-produced media. Like you pulled out your laptop here to produce this and this is how we get up there. Now, um, I've seen even bigger than hair, a lot of people will look at social media as though it's like this, this cancer that's ruining society. Because, oh yeah. They talk about it like, an it, ego now like and, social media has an agenda of its own. Like it's not just completely created by us. Yeah, exactly. And, and but, not just, not just the people making the media, but the people consuming the media. It's all one big thing. It's, there's no nefarious actions of social media. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a big but I think a more healthy and realistic way to look at it is there used to be salon magazines where there was a team of people. One person edited, one person, you know, sold ads, one, you know, one person laid it all out. There was a guy in charge of printing and it was like a team of people making a magazine happen. Mm. Instagram is your magazine where you are the photographer, you are the model, you are the editor, you are the stylist, you are every aspect of that magazine. Mm -hmm. And so it's media still, but the fact that you are the one behind the camera, in front of the camera, behind the computer editing people are like that's so much ego yeah. and it's like why because I don't have a team to do it and once you have a team to do it now you're a sellout or you're, or you're not an authentic hairdresser <laughs> the funny thing because is you have a team editing videos for you I, I talk about social media like a magazine a lot as well and the way I try to describe it to people uh, is this is understand your viewership and understand what people consume as media what is it that they're actually interested in how do you, what are your own consumer tendencies when it comes to media I mean when you look at uh, when you look at an Instagram page that's full of really beautiful looking haircuts after the first five six haircuts they all kind of become white noise to me and I start looking for the person that did the haircuts. I start wanting to see the personality Who or to understand you? these yeah. people. And the thing is, is, is a lot of people try with that meritocracy concept, try and create a following based on just a page full of beautiful looking haircuts. But if you think about a magazine in terms of what content you actually read, you, what magazines do you pick up? Do you pick up, you know, are you a Cosmo reader? Are you somebody that likes to read Vogue for the high fashion content? You know what I mean? Are, are you somebody that likes to read People magazine for celebrity gossip and shit like that? Or are you a 
person that consistently picks up those hairdressing magazines that you only see in hair salons and really only read them whenever you want a new haircut. I mean, you don't keep going back to those magazines. You don't go buy those off the shelf because you're like, oh, I just want to see how many amazing haircuts there are on this thing this month because they all kind of start to look like the same haircut after a while. And so when we're looking at those things, if your page looks like one of those magazines that only contains haircuts, don't be too surprised when people aren't that interested in the content. Yeah. Because it really has become not just a world of media. It, it has become a way of us to entertain each other, share those things. And even so much in a field like you and I are in with education, uh, we, we really start talking about things as edutainment these days because you can get up and do a technically perfect haircut in front of a crowd of people and not connect with those people and create for them an opportunity for them to take information away that's memorable because it all just becomes kind of white noise, a bunch of information. Absolutely. And so I think the approach that we take now is much more about how we share that information, like you say, the personality behind it. And it's really just what people find interesting. It's a human nature situation. I, I think um, probably with any artistic medium, there's um, there are people who will say like, oh, the real artist just does it for themselves. But if you sit in a room and play guitar for yourself all day, that's masturbation. You're doing it for yourself. <laughs> if, you, if you do haircuts to please yourself, that's masturbation. Yeah. Um, but if you're creating something that you're trying to put out into the world to affect the world and change the culture and inspire and educate and entertain people, um, that's a much different thing. It makes the viewer the hero of the story as a, or the person in the chair the hero of the story as opposed to I'm the hero because look what I I did yep. and I like what I did and I'm going to do it over and over and over and it's such a subtle thing but people will smell it um and I think it's it's like a core personality trait, really. Like, you either have it or you don't. And if you don't have it, go to church and find it. Um, <laughs> as, as I say church after talking about <laughs> masturbation. But but, uh, but when it comes to that, like, ed entertainment and, and keeping things interesting, too, I mean, we've seen the effect of that being pushed too far as well. You know, where, where well, it's all sizzle and no steak. There's, if, there's if, too much gimmick. If, if I could be rude and put the brakes on... Um, Going back to what you asked, how do I keep the content engaging and whatever, my primary goal for Instagram the day that I got it was just to post haircuts that I like doing. Um, when I do a haircut that literally gives me an adrenaline rush at the end, uh, I want to post it. And I'm like, I want to look at that photo and feel cool about it again. Like, I love doing this. And, and I like photography. And so to me, Instagram was initially a lookbook. Mm -hmm. And I never intended to be a personality, and I still don't want to be. As my following grew, people started reaching out. Will you come teach a class at my salon? Will you come teach here? And I was like, I'm not a teacher. I just like to post work that I like to do. And eventually I reached this point where, so for one, my following's not about me. It's about my clients. If you scroll through my Instagram, there's no, there's, if I post a picture of me, I delete it the next day. And it's normally for a flyer or something. It's not about me. It's about my clients and it's about the world and how hair can affect the way that they feel. And uh, so that's my primary goal. But then it turns into, well, come to my salon and teach me. And I start going, Dang, there's a lot of people who would like to know what's been working for me. So I better not like, I, I feel like I'm holding it back from them if I don't teach. And so a lot of people look at like, oh, everyone's an educator now. Everyone thinks they're worth so much. And I'm like, I feel like, I mean, my career is perfect. Like I never do a haircut I don't want to do. I work one day a week. I make more money than I need. Like if I don't go give that to other people, I'm a dick. And uh, so I started 
dabbling with using my following to try to attract people that I could help in that way. And then, of course, there's backlash like, oh, who do you think you are? You think you have all the answers? I'm like, no, I think I know what worked for me and I want to share it with you. And so I have these kind of two very separate goals for my Instagram. One is just to be a place for me to share the work I like doing. And then the second is to reach out to people who might want some help. And I love events like Lookbook, where we are today, um, because I get to meet these people and, and it keeps it real and it keeps me wanting to do it. Um, so I think, I don't know if that's a simpler or a complex answer, but there's no one reason I do my Instagram. There's the main reason, which is because I like to post work that I like to do. And if Instagram went away tomorrow, like if nobody followed anybody, I would still keep putting my photos on there um, just because I like to take photos and I like to share photos. Uh, but because people see that and they go, I want to learn from you. I'm like, well, I mean, I'll tell you anything I know. It irritates me that in our industry, we look at somebody who's in that position and they go, who do you think you are trying to teach classes? You think you know? Who ordained you to do this? And I'm like, well, people asked me for it. <laughs> yeah, the people that showed up. I think the interesting thing is is that um, I, I, I get asked this a lot. I'm sure you do too. Um, how do I become an educator? You know, how do I become an educator? And my response is really simple and much the same as yours. Find something that you know how to do. Find another person and show them how to do it. And you've just become an educator. And that seems a very unsatisfying answer for a lot of people. Uh, because they're expecting education and the educator lifestyle to be something other than that. Do you think that we collectively that are doing this, do you think we've created a false expectation for people of what it actually is? Well, I think if I'm, if I'm honest, um, the people who say, how do I be an educator? What they're really asking is how do I get in a room with 200 people watching me? They're not asking, how do I help somebody? How do I share what I know? Um, because the people who want to do that, do that. And there's guys like Gabe, the barber, um, he had a salon, uh, barbershop in Long Beach and he just opened an academy in Hollywood um, and he doesn't have a big following he doesn't have any of this but he reconnected a long time ago at a exotic show in Vegas and he he said like dude you inspire me I want to teach and he went and he taught and he opened up a school and he didn't need the following to do it and so when people say I want to teach I say do you want to teach or do you want to stand in front of 200 people yeah and um, and then if you do want to stand in front of 200 people I'm not even knocking that but if you want to do that that's a different path than I want to teach yep it's I want to entertain I want to and honestly there's um there's a bit of you have to challenge norms and expectations and and the way people think about things if you want to get up on that stage you can't get up there and say what everyone already knows no I agree. so you have to be willing to be ridiculed for believing something other people don't believe I mean um, I'll bring up the pissed off barber again I've been the target of his his shit for a long time now and um it's really messed with me. Like, I don't want to post stuff because he's going to mess with me. And, uh, but, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? If I just get really vanilla so, so I don't offend anybody and nobody picks on me, I lose what I had. Yeah. And, uh, and I think when people go, I want to be an educator, and what they really mean is I want to stand in front of 200 people, what they lack typically is the, I guess, the courage to, to say something people disagree with. I mean, I just went and taught a thing about photography in uh in an industry where half the barbers think, oh, photography's stupid, we don't need that. But I got out here and I did it. And, uh, and it was packed. I was in the back of that room and it was absolutely packed and people were glued to what you're doing because they realized that hair is a visual medium and so is photography. They cross over in a million ways. And the truth of it is, is that a great haircut, the world's best haircut, will at best last a couple of weeks, but a photo of that haircut will last forever. And and that's a thing that I think is really important in, in a way to not just gauge your growth, but I think in, in a way to get your, your work out, your, your medium, your uh, artistic expression 
question. It can be very fulfilling that way. So I think it's an important thing that you're teaching. Thank I think you. it's interesting, though. Don't take to heart uh, people shitting on you, uh, as you said, because honestly, I feel like today, if, if you're not have a few people out there shitting on you, you're not doing anything interesting. Yeah. The, the, the key to the key to failure is trying to please everyone. And I think that that uh, what you have is special. I think that what you are is special and, and the heart with which you educate, I think, is is needed out there. Can you edit um, out my crying? I can. Yeah, the weeping. But I think that there's a few things that I do want to talk about, though, because, I mean, let, let's get real as far as having a lot of influence in the industry. Uh, I, I don't believe that the term influencer is is a good thing. I think it's kind of like a derogatory term, the way that somebody would talk about a celebrity versus an actor. You know what I mean? The idea that, that, that you can be a celebrity known for doing nothing, uh, just known, whereas an actor is known for the quality of their craft. Right. I think... Um, I think that comes with a certain interesting thing that, that being labeled an influencer or being used as an influencer for certain things that it's never sat well with me. How do you, how do you address that term? Um, or, or how do you address that feeling of, you know, you're an influencer? Uh, to be completely honest, I think you might be asking the wrong guy. Um, I know you've followed me and known me for a long time. Have I ever once taken a sponsorship? I've never once, uh, I've never once worked for a company. I've never taken free product to post about it. I've never been paid to post anything. I am not an influencer. I have a big Instagram following, but I'm not an influencer, um, as the term would be described by, I don't know, Wikipedia or something. But, um, I mean, maybe I influence people, but it's funny because I've, I've reached so many crossroads through my career where I had an opportunity like, hey, this Clipper company is going to pay you 1500 bucks to post that you use their Clipper. And I'm like but I don't use their clipper. And uh, and ultimately, I use two different brands of clippers. And so I don't ever want to lose my credibility with my followers. Um, to me, like there's a bigger picture thing that's more important than just getting paid for posting. And uh, not that I'm opposed to that for other people. Like, I mean, that is a very viable, like lucrative business that can bring you a lot of joy. Um, but it's just not for me. It's not who I am. And I think like what I said earlier about there's people who are great at media who kind of use hair as a subject and then there's people who do hair who are trying to learn media um, I'm on the hair side learning media and like to me the business of media selling advertisements and influence it's cool it's just not for me yeah. other, if other people want to do it I'm not mad at them I used to be but now I'm like no I get it if you're already using a product I've seen you stand on stage for products that you already use yeah no I would definitely do that like uh, next time victory's in town I'd be happy to work on your stage <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not where I was if, headed, if we're headed there <laughs> but uh, no I'm not opposed to saying what I like and saying what I use um, like the first time I ever met you in person I mean we had talked together a lot online for a long time and, and admired each other from a distance since, you know, we were flirting with each other on Instagram. Just yep. the, I, I would like your posts and, oh, my God, he DM'd me. Oh, my God, he likes my stuff. And we would just be friends uh, that way. But then we met each other in person. And I remember you standing on this little stage for JRL, this uh, Clipper company. Uh, it was at the Long Beach show. I walked up and I was like really nervous to meet you in person because I think uh, with the getting to know people through social media, there's always that last 10 percent chance that they're going to be a yeah. complete day. No, to be honest, the more that I've gone to events like we're at today, Lookbook, um, and the more I've met people with big followings and and gone to industry events, the more I realized like people with big followings kind of don't get a fair shake. Mm. People automatically assume that they're fake or automatically assume that they're full of themselves. And you know, I've seen I've seen people like, oh, look at that guy with the followers wearing those sunglasses. Who's he think he is in those sunglasses? And right next to him is somebody in the same sunglasses with no followers. But it's cool for him to wear them. But sure. like, oh, this guy, what do you think he's a rapper wearing those sunglasses? The guy next to him thinks he's a rapper. He's got no followers. And so the more that I interact with people and meet people, um, you know, there are some like, 
it's funny because people will tell me like, oh, no, no, you're not like the other influencers. Like, they're full of themselves. And I used to go, oh, well, thank you. But now I go, who's full of themselves? Yeah. And then they go. Give me an example. And they can't say anything. And they can't say anything. Yeah. And so they just, they make up this persona for this, like, alleged general idea of a famous Instagram person. Oh, well, they just, they they lost the plot. They're full of themselves. It's not about the hair anymore. Like you said earlier, the sellout sellout concept. As soon as you're successful, you're a sellout. Yeah, and I go, okay, who? Oh, well, you know, I want name names. Like, you know, I'm not like that. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like they're virtuous for like, oh, I yeah. don't want to point anyone out specifically. I'm just going to generalize. But, but yeah, so the long, the longer I've done this and met people with big followings, I mean, Sophie is very quiet, oh. but very, very sweet. Incredible. Um, so Incredible. I've only hung out with her personally, like one-on-one a few times. And, uh, but every time she's like the sweetest person and she's super yeah. quiet. And so I can see how somebody meets her at an event like this. She's quiet to begin with. Yep. And they go, oh my gosh, I said hi to her. And she only said hi back to me. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I, I used to have like an online beef with a couple barbers who will remain nameless because we squashed it. Mm. But they met me at an event. I was dead tired. I had just finished presenting. Mm. And I said hi to the one guy in the group that I knew. And then I went back to my corner. And other guys in the group were like, yo, Andrew does hair dissed me. Yeah. And went off on their social media about how I'm like a dick and stuff. That's an interesting thing to pursue because as, as you become more known, I don't want to say famous. I want to say known because I feel like it's a different thing. Um, as you become more known, do you feel like the expectations of you socially grow? grow at these things at, at events that we go to do you feel the the pressure to connect with everyone just so you don't run into those issues I think in the beginning it was more like that when I was a little more special on Instagram back when I was one of the rare big followings and now I have nothing compared to some of these big people um, but back in the day when I was like happened to accidentally have a bigger following than most um, people really expected a lot from me and it yeah. was exhausting it is, it is socially exhausting. It, it, by the end of the day, you're, you're quite tired. Yeah, that's why I'm so grateful for this hotel room right now. <laughs> but, uh, and the studio audience that we have. Lovely people here <laughs> watching being very quiet and polite. Uh, but I'll say, and I don't know if this is a matter of other people being way bigger than me now. Like, Diego's following is better than mine. Go go talk to Diego. But, um, <laughs> you just deflect more famous. Yeah, people. seriously, just go talk to them. Their followings are bigger. Um, no, I don't know if it's a case of that. Like, people, like, they're like, oh, this person's bigger than Andrew. I'm going to talk to them. I don't know if it's that or it's that people on on Instagram maybe know me more now and they're like oh he's just awkward and weird and quiet and makes weird band references from the 90s and uh So like I, I think it's your awkwardness that draws me to you though because it gives us like this real there's just a real genuineness to you that I, I appreciate and there's no pretense because I don't think you're capable of it I think you're, you're you feel socially awkward all the time well, and that, it's what I find so a, charming that's always been a funny thing is I've had people straight up ask me like how are you so authentic online and I'm like how do I be anything else? I don't know. <laughs> I try harder, but it doesn't work. Like, how do you come off so real? And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. I never learned how to be fake. I don't know. So what, like when people approach you, do you get asked a lot of questions? Like a lot of people have a ton of hair questions for you, or, or do you get a lot of DMS on Instagram or things that people are reaching out as, as you position yourself as an educational uh, type, as an educator, a sharer? Um, do you, do you get a lot of people asking and reaching out for certain things? Literally every day. What, what is, the most annoying question to get asked um oh i had one the other day this is okay funny story sad story maybe i'll look like a dick here but um i'll I'll reveal my ego this uh so when i did the blue mon thing i was exposed to an audience of people who didn't know me and but you know he blue mon did a great job of um representing my work and talking about what i'm about and and who i am 
But uh, after that, I got a, like a huge flood of random strangers messaging me like, oh, I found you through Bluemon. Can you answer this question for me? And so this one guy um, from, I don't know, some Pakmenistan or something like yeah. um, some random country somewhere. He had zero posts and like just like a one little profile picture taken on like a razor phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he messaged me and he said, hey, I did the blow dry stuff you showed in the video, but my hair won't stay up. How do I get it to stay up? And I wrote him back and I said, oh, after you blow dry it up, hairspray it. And he wrote back and said, no, hairspray damages your hair. <laughs> and so I was like, I went like this. And for viewers, I'm pinching the bridge of my nose and taking a deep breath. And I went, I don't have the energy for this. And I just blocked the guy. Right. I was like, you right. know what? I, I told you what I know. Look through my Instagram account. Do you see damaged hair on there? Um, and so then two days later on my YouTube, I got a random comment from a random nameless account calling me out why do you block people when they challenge you and who you know why don't you be a man and and (laughs) answer questions for your fans and and i was like oh it's that guy yeah and uh it's like you're owed you're owed something because somebody decided to follow you and suddenly well i followed you so you owe me this now yeah exactly well i think the the bigger problem is what i should have asked that guy and what i typically ask people when they ask those questions is what does your barber say yeah and uh i didn't ask him that i normally just ask that right away but this guy said how do i make my hair stay up longer okay hairspray and then he said no you're wrong and i'm like okay you're blocked like (laughs) my ego just kicked in and i'm like i don't have time for this but uh i tried to help you you don't want it so no but no anyways um the problem is these people on Instagram, when they say, how do I make my hair stand up longer? And I say, well, what does your barber say? They say, well, my barber doesn't do that. My barber doesn't talk about that. I'm afraid to ask my barber. And so the fact that people are messaging strangers on Instagram to learn about their hair shows where we as hair professionals, technicians have messed up. Yeah. Um, and so it's funny because in a lot of my seminars, I start with that. I say, hey, look at this. Get on YouTube right now. Look up this account. There's one called uh, Slick Hair TV. I believe they have over 2 million followers now. Neither of the guys on this channel do hair. And I point out to the whole room, I say that's 2 million people who don't ask their barber how to do it, who go to YouTube instead. That's a good point. And, uh, and so that's like, I don't know, kind of something that used to annoy me a lot more. Now I kind of get it. But Do you notice this happens a lot more with men's hair than with women's hair? Do you notice a, a big shift towards that being more of a male styling problem than a w- women's? You know, I used to think that it was a male-specific problem that, oh, men aren't allowed to care about their hair. Men aren't allowed to want to better hair. Um, however, in the recent, what, like, how long have you been with me, Jen? Like a year? The, the last year, I do more women's haircuts than men's haircuts. And I get so many women in there who don't know how to curl hair. And I have my assistant, Jen, teach them how to curl their hair and uh it it's so i used to think it was a male specific problem but it's an industry-wide thing and then it gave me a flashback to um a few times in my career so first in school some educator that visited for the day told us he said finishing work is the number one thing that stylists skimp on and the number one thing you need to do better and then like way later gordon miller told me finishing work is the number one thing stylists don't do and uh, it's that finishing work that the clients need to replicate at home and so in my career what i've done is i spent eight minutes blow drying hair and six minutes fading hair Mm -hmm. and that's how i grew is i do finishing work and i teach finishing work and i make sure my client can recreate create that finishing work Uh, but it's definitely apparent in both men's hair and women's hair for sure i agree i think there's a big deficit i was talking about this earlier in my class that i was teaching today how there is such a massive deficit between uh women's styling knowledge culturally and men's there's a great big hole when it comes to men's we're we're part of a generation of guys that weren't even really taught how to shave properly by their father 
Congress. You know, we, we we grew up reading magazines that didn't preach like the way that women's magazines have all been telling them this message for a long time. And that message is basic and simple and crazy effective. Um, the message that the beauty industry teaches women is you're not pretty enough because every single magazine is here's the hot new eyebrow trend. You know, here's the new way to curl your hair. It's festival season. This is what you should be doing. Here's the new tr- colors and new makeup trends and all these things about personal presentation that are basically communicated to women that you're defined by society by how you look and that might seem really sad and depressing but the thing is guys are told a totally different thing they were grow up reading magazines that were like if you want to be attractive you want to be cooler like wear this watch buy this, this car. car yeah you know what I mean? and, and I so from you, sorry. Men, men were yeah. defined but yeah it's true though men were defined by how they uh, achieve and what they own and and what they've accomplished and so the, the concept there is understanding that men primarily have never been shown these things and they're embarrassed well so the big shift and the opportunity therein for any barbers listening or hairstylists is during this time when men were told buy this pomade buy this watch buy this car if you want to be better looking nobody told them by the way brad pitt blow dried his hair nobody said that so we as an industry are in the prime position to teach on an individual personal provable level client to client what a hair dryer can do what a proper haircut can do and uh so like women have always kind of know, kind of known like oh hot tools make my hair shiny. Mm-hmm. Men don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know men think a flat iron is to make hair straight. Women know how to curl hair with their flat iron. Um, men think a hair dryer is made to dry hair, but they don't worry about that because they can put pomade in it, let it dry on its own. However, women know that a hair dryer will make their hair smooth and shiny. It and, also uh, create volume. They create volume and smooth out cowlicks and make things lay down and. Uh, so we're right in this prime opportunity where the men look at Brad Pitt and they look at David Beckham and they go, I want that. All I know is buy this watch, drive this car, as Maddie puts it. And we're like, hey, guess what? Somebody blow dried their hair. What? No, that's gay. That's lame. That's <laughs> that's, that's that's weird. Can't you, my just, friend, can't you just cut my hair so that I don't do that? need a blow dryer? And of course, like, no, I can't break the law of physics just yeah, because I've, you don't want to do your so haircut. I run into this with clients a lot. Like, they'll show me a picture of, I don't know, Ryan Gosling. And they go, I want to look like this, but I want to wake up and go. And I stop them. And I put my hand on them, on their shoulder. And I say, do you really think, honestly... Do you think Ryan Gosling woke up and looked like this? <laughs> it's always a picture of him on the red carpet yeah. at some awards ceremony. Go, I want to wake up and look effortless like this. I want to yeah, wake yeah. up and look like a celebrity <laughs> on the red carpet. Like, yeah, so does the celebrity want to wake up and look like that. Yeah. You got to blow dry it. You yeah. got to do more. I don't want to blow dry my hair. Well, let me let you in on a secret. I don't want to blow dry it either. <laughs> it's just, it takes time. I'd rather be doing another haircut. But the truth is, is that it's a, it's a necessary evil these days. And I think that it's never before been a better time to learn about styling hair. And I think from an education standpoint, this has been a big shift because I don't know about you, but when we first started out teaching, I felt like my audience was primarily hairstylists that wanted to learn better clipper skills. Well, they wanted be- to learn how to do fades and stuff. But now I see most of my audience is barbers, barbers that are who want to learn hair scissors yeah. and hair dryers and, and other techniques that we have to offer. And so the interesting thing is to see the ego shift that's happened from hairstylist to barber and now from barber to hairstylist and to see the massive shift in the industry that's happening right now. Do you see that in your own work? Because like you were saying, you've you were doing mostly women's hair and teaching them styling where when I first found you, I I was one of those people that found you because I thought you did incredible men's work. 
Uh, so early in my career, um, and when I say career, I mean like post Instagram career. When people first started asking me to go do classes, I would go, okay, yeah, what do you want to learn? They go, teach us fades. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I can't even do fades. But okay, and I would show up and try to teach fades as much as I understood them. Uh, however, when I would go teach these fades, I would leave the class and legitimately feel like I ripped them off. Like a panic attack. Well, not even a panic attack, but just like guilt. Like I'd go to bed like, dude, they, they wanted to have a better career and instead I showed them how to do a better fade. And it's not the same thing. And it's not how I built my career. But the fact that I was doing fades at a time that fades were popular, people wanted to learn it from me. And so I heard a saying from Brett the Barber in Canada, a friend of yours. He's a great um, guy. Great guy. Brett told me, don't give the client what they ask for. Give them what they want. And so I started taking that kind of advice toward my education. And somebody say, we want to hire you. I say, what do you want to learn? They go, we want to learn fades. And I say, okay, what I'll teach you is how to raise your haircut prices, how to give the client what they really want, and how to do a scissor cut. And they go, no, we want to learn fades. And I'm like, no, I'm going to teach you how to raise your prices. How, you know. And so I started teaching what actually worked for me. And for me, as I said earlier, eight minute blow dry, six minute fade is a $100 haircut. Um, 20 minute fade, no blow dry, that's a $20 haircut. And, uh, and I started teaching that and it offends a lot of people because people think, no, I do a great fade and when I do a better fade, I'll get to the top. And we already talked about there is no top and you don't get there that way. Um, so I definitely felt that early in my educational career and I made that shift personally, which was, you know, it was hard. It was like a boundaries thing. Like, no, I, oh, I really want to go to there and teach, but I don't want to teach what they want me to teach. And, um, yeah, so ultimately, I would say to maintain my personal integrity and feel good about myself, I don't want to teach what people want to learn. I want to teach what, what has been helping me. Um, and that's why I did photography today, because nothing, no haircut I've ever done has paid me more than half the haircut photos I've done. Um, mm -hmm. So like, and, and that's through, you know, the other opportunities that the photos bring, product sales and class sales and whatever, but um, opportunities like this even, this is not because of how I cut hair, mm -hmm. this is because of how I take photos of haircuts. And so that's why it's so important to me to get barbers and stylists paying attention to how they take photos because that's how you get out of the salon, that's how you get out of the barbershop, is through a digital image. Something that you just covered there I think is gonna be really, really important for us to tackle and I don't know if we have enough time to get into it, so let's just take a break right there and we're gonna have you back again next week and we're gonna discuss this a little bit more in depth because I think that giving people the tools to get out from behind their chair and do something uh, a little bit more extraordinary, the, the opportunity for them to grow past that point, I think is something that we should really explore. Explore. So we're going to take a little break. We're going to be back next week with Andrew Does Hair. We'll see you next time on Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. you guys that was part one of my conversation with mr andrew cossack at andrew does hair on instagram we are going to be at the community barber showcase in vancouver today doing all sorts of really interesting podcast interviews as well as a live podcast interview with my friend tom chapman of the lion barbers collective in the uk so make sure you tune in next week for part two of our conversation with andrew and look for more interesting conversations coming your way on whiskey tango foxtrot i'm your host maddie conrad thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week <laughs>